Okay, I think uh, we'll get started. There may be a couple more people coming, but uh, we'll, we'll get going today. Uh, my name's Bill Garvlink, and just to make sure you're in the right place, this is CSIS's uh, series on careers in development. And today we have with us Annie Toro, who is the Senior Advisor uh, for Health Policy and Advocacy at the International Medical Corps. We work, the, I, did, I work at the International Medical Corps now, too. So we actually see a lot of each other. And, uh, <laughs> and I think you have uh, Annie's bio. Um, and she has a, a long experience in, in development policy, but from a variety of very interesting perspectives, from, from Capitol Hill, from the Organization of American States, from the World Health Organization, and from working with the International Medical Corps as an NGO. So she has a broad perspective on, on the different views of, of development policy and how policies are developed and, and uh, put, put into use. So, so she'll have an interesting perspective here. And with that, I'll turn it over to Annie. And when she's finished, we'll, we'll ask her a few questions. All right, wonderful. It's so great to be here. Thanks, Bill, for yeah. the... Uh, for the kind introduction and also for um, the opportunity to have the privilege to actually work with you. Um, I consider it a privilege uh, to be around um, wonderful people who really motivate um, the work environment and, and Bill is, is the personification of, uh, of what that means for me on a regular basis. Um, also thank you to uh, CSIS for the invitation to be here. Um, it's, uh, it's not um, every day that we have the opportunity to be able to talk to um, the people who are uh, not, in, in thinking about where their careers are going or starting their careers off in development or, or even trying to figure out what the next steps are for them um, as they're, as they're kind of maneuvering uh, their way through Washington or, or other places, right? Um, so I'm hoping that um, through the discussion today and um, the way that I thought about doing this presentation would be to start off um, and just make it a more a call to action um, and then um, opening it up for question and answer, which I'm hoping I'm gonna get a lot of uh, regardless of the time. Um, I know it's, uh, it's pretty early in the morning, and as I was saying to some of my colleagues, um, this is my third meeting for the day. Uh, <laughs> and, um, it's probably, I probably have like seven others, um, so I hope that I'm gonna get a lot of really interesting questions this morning, and, um, and just blame it on the daily job, but um, I can talk forever. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm hoping um, <laughs> I'm hoping that I can contain myself, um, but that comes from a very good place. It's a place of excitement and and, and real interest in in the work that I do and the commitment that I have for the issues that I work on behalf of. Um, so with that, um, just wanted to keep that. Um, in perspective, as you're looking at some of the slides, um, in, in 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 looking at the uh, the invite for today's discussion, and and talking about careers in development, um, I wanted to speak a little bit about the way 
that the current situation is um, in, in terms of some of the issues that I cover for for the International Medical Corps. And then how does that trickle into some of the advocacy work that happens on a regular basis? And and, and, and it's really pretty general um, because obviously we have a, our time limited today, but I'll stay over um, after our discussion. Um, but I hope that it can um, uh, get you excited about this topic, first of all, and that um, the conversation um, can can lead you to some uh, deep thinking about where you like to go in your careers or or where you are in your career at the moment. So with that, let me just go ahead and get started, and I hope that I can maneuver this. I'm always thankful that people don't ask me in interviews um, about your IT skills um, um, because you know that just sometimes doesn't go too well or wouldn't go too well, <laughs> but let me see how I can manage this. Um, I hope that you can see that, but um, the topic of the presentation, it's moving beyond WASH, connecting hygiene, maternal health, and nutrition security, which are uh, some of the issues that I, um, that I cover for um, International Medical Corps um, as their, their, their policy and advocacy advisor. Um, but um, that doesn't limit the whole range of issues that our organization um, works on. Um, and, uh, and so I just wanted to give you a preview about that. Um, so who are we? I'm, I'm going to go through this very quickly because if you know Bill, um, uh, probably many of you already know and are familiar about the work of International Medical Corps. Um, but we're a global humanitarian nonprofit organization um, dedicated to saving lives and relieving suffering through healthcare training and relief and development programs. Um, we see the offering of training and healthcare to local populations and medical assistance um, to people at highest risk and working in fragile states and, 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 and fragile countries um, uh, with the flexibility to respond rapidly to emergency to situations. Um, and because of that, we're able to um, work to rehabilitate devastated health healthcare systems and help them bring back to self-reliance. So our whole mission is going from relief to serve reliance, and and I have to say that's one of the, uh, the, the that was one of the pillars and and and, and real things that I, I I I just love in terms of uh, the mission of our organization. We li we really work through our mission. Um, that um, I, I think a lot of organizations or, or, or people know us as that emergency response um, organization because that's what gets uh, us in the, in the news for the most part. And what people don't know is that we're equally um, involved in development work. Not only uh, before a, a disaster strikes or an emergency uh, develops, um, but we stay on after the cameras are off. And, and we're one of those organizations that stays under the radar um, and, and sometimes doesn't um, get the recognition it so deserves for, for that kind of uh, work that really helps people be prepared to be their, their first responders. Uh, so our approach to um, our work is through integration services, and and I guess that's uh, that's one of the ways that I justify being able to be in 20 meetings a day or being in so many working groups or coalitions, for those of you who know me. Um, but um, you can't think of an issue or a person in silos, and I think that's one of the, uh, the, the biggest hurdles that we find 
in, um, in not only development, but in, in the work of policy in general. Um, we can't really blame that um, in, in, in anything in particular. I mean, there's, there, there's some things that are systematic in, in, in the way that they're um, operationalized or just structured. Um, let's say Congress, for instance, and the way that congressional committees are structured are very much uh, very um, uh, geared towards um, issues of jurisdiction. And, and, and for those um, for those things, and, and people can be very territorial, as you all know, um, that's, uh, that's a way to, in some ways, um, disengage issues that really flow together so nicely and so opportune, but are divided by just the way that uh, things operate. So I'm hoping that um, through our discussion today that we can talk about breaking silos and talking more about the integrated approach to health, which really helps uh, lead to good outcomes for people on the ground and the people we serve. Um, so through the integration of specialties like emergency medicine, women and children's health, nutrition services, um, water sanitation and hygiene, and mental health, among many others um, that I'm leaving out, family planning and reproductive health, um, and many others that we're engaging on a regular basis into primary care settings, we make sure that um, those we serve um, receive holistic, comprehensive care. And, and the value of our approach to community health and well-being and that emphasis on capacity building through training are critical for the long-term uh, growth of conflict and natural disaster affected communities and, and fragile states. Um, here's a little bit about our global presence, uh, which I'm not gonna go into. I uh, just wanted to give you a landscape of that um, and in uh, our current operations. All right, so I'm just gonna move right along um, into uh, the topics that I was asked to discuss. Again, with the, uh, um, with the understanding that, that for me in talking about these, what I, I, I want to make you aware of some of the current um, needs that are out there that we're all trying to make a different uh, make a difference towards in addressing these. And, and, and this is an urgent call to action. And, and I'm hoping that if you leave um, here today that you will leave with that message in mind that we all have a responsibility and an obligation um, to do something to address um, the current situation that we have in so many issue areas that we work on. Um, but today, uh, for, for this presentation, I'm gonna focus on, on, on several areas and how they all um, uh, build um, into each other. So here's some statistics um, on water, sanitation, and hygiene. Um, look at the first one. 2.5 billion uh, people approximately still have no access to improved sanitation uh, facility. Uh, their real diseases are the second leading cause of death in children under five. Um, but a significant portion of uh, their real disease can be prevented through safe drinking water and adequate sanitation and hygiene. Half of all hospitals beds in the developing wor world are occupied by people with WASH-related diseases. Um, so when we talk about WASH, um, uh, and as an advocate, I, I can't help it but not talk about 
the investments and the importance of talking about this in terms of the return on investments. Um, not only it is our obligation and our moral obligation, um, but it also makes sense for us in terms of what we get for the investments that we're uh, putting into these uh, these efforts on the ground and, and, and here in our work in, in DC or other places around the world. Uh, for every dollar invested in water, sanitation, and hygiene um, brings $4.30 in higher productivity and lower healthcare cost. Each dollar invested in water supply and sanitation services can offer returns ranging from 5 to $46 with the highest returns generated in, in the least uh, developed nations. Um, universal access to safe drinking water and sanitation would save over $134 billion in annual health cost avoided, um, lost productivity and reduced mortality. And part of the reason why I'm reading um, these slides, it's for the benefit of those um, who um, will be uh, listening to this presentation as it's been recorded. Uh, some, some statistics on maternal mortality and morbidity. Every other minute of every day, and I hope that you keep this in mind, even in just in terms of thinking of what this means for the time frame that we'll be spending here together during this discussion. A woman somewhere dies from pregnancy-related causes, and, and when that happens, she leaves behind children who are 10 times more likely to die within two years than those whose, mothers, whose mother remains in their home. Uh, more than one-third of maternal deaths occur in fragile states, and half of the children who die before the age of five are in these countries or states. Um, for every maternal death, 20 more, 200 other women suffer injury, disease, or infection during or after their pregnancy. In all, this tragedy touches nearly 6 million women directly each year, 99% of them in the developing world. Before I go into nutrition, and I know that I'm throwing out a lot of numbers at you, um, and, and I'm happy to have this um, uh, presentation be um, uh, circulated through CSIS or, or kept in file. Um, um, I, I, I wanted to uh, put something in, in, in your minds. Um, when I look at these issues, just having been working in this field for now over 20 years, um, a lot of people think about folks involved in policy work um, and, and advocacy on a regular basis. Um, and, and we look at the statistics and we bring them to Capitol Hill or, or other places where we have the attention of, um, of decision makers. Um, for me, uh, even from the early stages of, of, of being a, long, uh, a young attorney, uh, gosh, uh, I hope I'm still young, right, Bill? Um, but um, in looking at these things from, from that standpoint back in the day, um, I never separate the people who I've worked with throughout my entire career um, on, uh, through the law, um, through engagement in, um, in, in, in global um, institutions, advocacy organizations, uh, membership organizations, implementers. Um, or, or agencies of the United Nations, um, that when we talk about these, these are not statistics, these are people. And, and a lot of folks um, uh, ask me um, about what it means to do advocacy work and how that uh, blends in with, um, with advocacy, because, uh, with uh, implementation, because it, they just seem to be so unrelated. 
and and for me it's con completely the opposite um, not only for things that I can mention a little later in terms of how long it takes to get something approved through Congress if we're talking about advocacy and, and the way that um, we talk about development. Development is not something that happens overnight, um, which is quite interesting when you work in an organization that does both emergency response, which is about responding immediately, um, and then working on the development aspect of things but that you always, every time you're thinking about being involved in these issues, that you remember the people who you're touching. Um, I think that, uh, for me, um, that's something that I have in my mind every day. Um, I've had it since uh, those days as, as a young attorney. Um, to this day, I never forget that the statistics that I'm bringing up and that I'm discussing with decision makers or anybody else are the actual faces of people um, who I'm trying to make a difference on behalf of. So moving on to nutrition, malnutrition contributes to nearly half of all deaths among children under five, about 3.1 million annually to be more um, or approximate uh, to the actual number. It leaves at least 165 million child survivors uh, with stunted growth, compromised cognitive development and poor physical health. Malnutrition saps economic productivity and growth, uh, robbing some of the world's poorest countries of at least 8% of GDP, and that varies obviously depending on each country. Um, so uh, uh, I'm referring here to some of the real um, uh, poorest countries around the world. Uh, childhood malnutrition can reduce an adult's productivity by at least 20%. Um, and every dollar invested in nutrition can generate up to one, um, 138 worth of improved health and increased productivity, improved nutrition during the crucial 1,000 days between conception and a child's second uh, birthday can save between 20 to 30 billion each year in healthcare cost. So now I wanna turn it over into making some connections, which is uh, what I was called to do during this presentation, um, in, in how this all kinda comes together, which is something that sometimes it's hard for people to to see when they're working in, in, in this field of either development or, or working in policy and advocacy, you know, what does one issue have to do with another? And I just wanted to uh, bring a couple of, um, of, of not only statistics, but some um, findings that can help um, illustrate how that uh, really comes to reality. So here are the links on WASH and reproductive health, and, and just please know that I'm, I'm being very limited um, in, in terms of uh, the broad scope of the repercussions and the links between these two. Um, silence, stigma, and lack of information regarding menstruation coupled with inadequate sanitation facilities disempowers women and girls and can lead to poor health practices that are linked with reproductive health um, problems um, in the end. Uh, I mean, think about this and what this would mean for us as, uh, as some of us uh, here, uh, women, uh, you know, and having to, to experience something like this. I mean, it's something that, um, I'm, fortunately for me, I've never had to think about. Um, but di these are things that happen every day, at every moment um, in a person's life. Um, so I, I hope that that can stay with you um, and, and, and again go back to my initial um, uh, word of, of making this a call to action of, of why we need to do something to change the status quo. 
Access to sanitation and drinking water are essential for the survival of mothers during and immediately after childbirth and also play a crucial role in improving gender equality and women and girls' empowerment. So wash your mental health, and I wanted to bring in mental health because it's one of those forget, uh, forgotten um, issues that, um, that for some reason, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely neglected even within the conversations of uh, non-communicable diseases, which we're very active on. Um, but the links uh, with mental health are just so broad, um, and, uh, and I just wanted to um, uh, just to mention that even within the context of the fact that last Friday we uh, commemorated World um, Mental Health Day, and that was an opportunity to talk about the importance of mental health in humanitarian crisis, but also um, around the world um, as it relates to development and other issues. Maternal depression, especially mothers, also facing social disadvantages or harsh environments such as conflict or a natural disaster, or a disaster of any kind, uh, leads or can lead to low birth weight, undernutrition in the first year of life, higher rates of diarrheal disease and early cessation of breastfeeding. Maternal depression can impact the ability of mothers to respond to their children's needs and to engage in recommended behaviors relevant to health and hygiene. Uh, maternal health, uh, mental health is directly associated with many outcomes that contribute to infant mortality, such as undernutrition, diarrheal disease immunization, and breastfeeding uptake. Um, a little bit on violence, which I thought would be uh, important to raise during this discussion as well. One in three women worldwide risk shame, disease, and harassment, even, and even attack because they have nowhere safe to go to the toilet. Again, going back to what I said previously, imagine having to face this situation on a regular basis. Uh, violence during pregnancy can lead to miscarriages, um, stillbirth, preterm delivery, and lower, low birth weight. Um, violence hinders a woman's ability to gain access to education, healthcare, employment, voluntary marriage, and political participation. And there's also a strong association between gender-based violence, maternal depression, and suicide. In terms of nutrition, I'll just go into the first bullet, um, that today nearly half of malnutrition cases worldwide can be contributed to poor um, water, sanitation, and hygiene. Um, but we know these issues um, of water and sanitation are often overlooked and, and in isolation from food and nutrition security, which it's another way of saying we need to make sure that we're connecting the dots between all these issues that are never talked about or often not talked about. Um, 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 as it relates to integrated um, solutions. Health workers, um, I can't, I can't not just not, t I can't <laughs> just, you know, not, not only because I work for International Medical Corps, but just uh, I, I think that the, the, the importance of health workers um, um, has taken a new meaning um, after the Ebola crisis, as we all know, um, but uh, which is very obviously tragic and, and unfortunate that that's the way that it's, uh, it's, it's happened. But um, the importance of health workers is so um, undermined. Um, we talk about all these issues. We have to address this. We have to reduce uh, maternal mortality. We have to do something to reduce gender-based violence. We have to do something about water sanitation and hygiene. Who does that? Who's doing that work? I mean, we talk about talking to decision makers, being able to be good advocates, working with the people who can make the difference on the ground, but we forget about 
those key players, those key folks in the communities where we're uh, trying to make an impact, who are the ones who are trusted by the communities that we're trying to serve, that are delivering those messages, many times um, at the risk of death, as we've seen with the Ebola crisis. But even before then, um, these are the people who, with very little money, very often unpaid, um, but with a very high commitment to their communities, dedicate their lives to trying to make a difference for their own communities. So this is a, a, a way to recognize the importance of health workers. Um, um, aside from, from my affiliation with International Medical Corps, first and foremost, I see myself as an advocate for uh, representing the vulnerable and, 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 and people who need help um, across the world. And, um, and I know that we couldn't do that without the help the help of health workers around the world. They're the first and often the only link to healthcare for millions of individuals living in the, in the developing world, providing services where they're most needed, especially in remote and rural areas. Um, increasing health worker capacity has been linked to more respectful treatment of maternal patients, a reduction in infection, increased sanitation practices, and successful birth outcomes. Um, this is um, quite a bit of information, so let me just um, talk a little bit about what happens in the absence of skilled health um, care during pregnancy and what those outcomes can mean for the people um, who are at the, at the other side of receiving those services. Um, but um, what happens when we're not attending to those issues? Um, and, then, and then let's look at the current shortages, um, just in the, in, for just looking at my watch and going, that I know that I'm going way over probably my time, um, that despite the role um, the World Health Organization estimates, there's an increased shortage, and, a con and, and this is, uh, just to put it mildly, of at least 7.2 million physicians, nurses, and midwives that are currently available to provide essential health services, and that's not including up the whole broad range of what would be included in, uh, in, in health um, workers. Um, There's just a couple of uh, categories um, that are currently available to provide essential health services, and by 2013, that shortage is projected to rise to 12.9 million, um, but um, I'm estimating for that number to be a lot lower than it uh, actually would be. Um, so I wanted to just uh, dig into some recommendations and so that you can get a, a feel for what it means to link um, the issues that I talked about to some of the potential for, for action in terms of policy and advocacy and then, um, and then moving into um, uh, to straight issues related to uh, policy, advocacy, and then we'll open it up for question and answer. Um, so here's some recommendations that the funding and education. So there's, everyone has a voice. There's something that we can be doing at all times. And I wanted, um, with providing this information, I just wanted to give you a, a bit of a sense of some of the things that are out there, but this is in no way limiting to the scope of the things that we can be involved in in making a difference to address the current situations. Uh, we can work to increase appropriations for global health programs, development assistance, and international disaster assistance. Uh, we can increase top-line appropriations for bills, um, or in this case, in laws like the, the wonderful Senator Paul uh, Simon Water for the uh, Poor Act of uh, 2005. 
we can educate policymakers about the impact that increased appropriations, Water for the World Act, and better implementation of the USAID water strategy would have, and educate policymakers about the value of integrated strategies, which is really, really key. Um, and obviously uh, not forget the, the importance of fund, uh, funding research to help fill gaps in evidence. In terms of legislative initiatives, um, um, I can go on and on about so many different uh, ones, but I decided to just to focus on, on the Water for the World Act, um, which is a really key piece of legislation um, that has been very close, and there's still that hope that we can get it approved um, before the end of this year, which is keeping our fingers crossed that we can make that work, um, a bill that would make such a big difference um, in the lives of so many people um, with very, very little resources um, and just um, better coordination. Um, the enactment of the International Violence Against Women Act, uh, uh, which is, uh, has been introduced and led both the House and Senate, and, uh, and passage of a congressional resolution um, that recognizes the importance of frontline health workers towards accelerating progress on global health in general, but also in saving the lives of women and children. Um, in terms of program, programming and implementation, um, we can think about providing international political leadership to make WASH a part of mainstream emergency relief and development strategies, highlighting both the critical role and the cost effectiveness of all three in poverty reduction. We can be an advisory or serve in that advisory role for USAID and the State Department on the implementation of its water and development strategy. Um, position WASH as a complement to other e equally important development objectives such as nutrition and WASH and PEPFAR um, should invest in WASH to make HIV treatment more effective. So look at the linkages between all these different issues and how they all come together. And in and, um, and thinking about NTD programs um, should include, uh, needless to say, WASH to prevent transmission, and that, uh, that spelled out to neglect tropical um, uh, diseases. Um, uh, in terms of programming and impl implementation, um, WASH services be a mandatory part of all health facilities, and that these services meet minimum standards and guidelines. Um, uh, the focus on health facilities is one that we see and have seen over the years is one that has been overlooked, and, and that's definitely a priority for, I know, International Medical Corps, but it is something that's uh, getting a lot of attention. Um, so thinking about a specific focus on clean deliveries um, and, and, and what impact that would have on maternal and child, um, uh, the reduction of maternal and child deaths, um, strengthening the integration of WASH and MNCH, maternal, neonatal, and child health, um, and increased integration of nutrition services and community health programs to improve both the cost effectiveness and the overall impact of these programs. Increased male participation, since we haven't talked about males at all, right? In WASH and, and MNCH services, as well as training and GVV education to raise awareness. And the fact that um, um, male participation hasn't been mentioned, um, please know it's, it's, it's definitely not purposely done in any way. Um, when we talk about making a difference, um, this is a, uh, as we're all in this together. It's not differenti differentiating or isolating the role of women or men in this effort, we're all, um, we all have an obligation to make a difference um, uh, in promoting integration of WASH across health and nutrition. 
And then not forgetting the, the, um, the opportune time that we have with the post-2015 uh, development agenda that's underway. And it's a great opportunity to be able to help advance WASH within the post-2015 um, development agenda by identifying goals, targets, and indicators in WASH and health and relevant areas. Um, goals that are related to health must be presented in a holistic manner um, that recognize its economic, social, and environmental scope and there also needs to be a larger focus on new ways to address health issues in fragile country contexts or fragile states, uh, an area that lacked significant focus by the MDGs um, uh, during the first go around. Quality and equity of care is a priority access across all post-2015 health goals, but especially for maternal health, where poverty, poor infrastructure, and gender norms can prevent women from seeking much needed um, health care. So what's your attitude? Um, so I, I like for this part of the presentation um, or the discussion to be more interactive, um, so to speak, and, and maybe a way to, um, to make sure that no one is falling asleep as I'm speaking here, because that would just be saying a lot about my skills as an advocate. <laughs> so what do you think about politics? I mean, does politics play a factor? If so, in what way? May I be so bold? B, I'm, yes. Uh, I am a male. Uh, I think this question is excellent, and I'm going to make a recommendation. Have each person mandatorily give their answer around the table. Lovely. All right. I am Where do we start? I am an attorney also. Oh, And my daughter-in-law was born in Columbia and is a pediatrician. Look at that. And I will tell that story. She's about 40 years old now, and they have two children. Absolutely. We need to do a That's lot of talking after reason, this presentation. That's primary reason that I'm here. Look at that. I so we have know. a lot of things in common. Viva Colombia. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, but will you allow? Absolutely. I can volunteer to go next. All right. Um, I think that I have faith in our Congress to eventually get things done, um, but I think it's hard when you have so many competing sectors um, and when you have health advocates going against education advocates, um, going against people who want support for things like tax administration that may be largely ignored. Um, so I think it's just really hard to decide where that money goes and the keys finding how to get integrated systems that really leverage. And I don't know that we're approaching that in any way. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, I'm here at CSIS. Uh, I'm the program coordinator with this Excellent. program. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jessica Ernst, and I'm an independent consultant working in uh, public-private partnerships. And um, I mean, I think a lot of the policies are there that are just not implemented very well. And actually, um, part of what I'd like to, what I was going to ask a question about, love to hear you talk about, um, is another stakeholder group of the private sector, and if you all have engaged them for sustainability of a lot of these initiatives that you're talking about. Great. Please, if I don't answer that question, would you make sure to remind me? Yeah. All right. I'm Sarah First. I work for MBAs Without Borders at Pixera Global. Uh, I agree with what's been said. I, I feel that the wash sector is under-recognized and undervalued, uh, and I think it's only a matter of time for it to become more recognized. Uh, I also really agree that there's a strong, I think the private sector can do a lot here, and I think there's a lot that businesses can do and step in uh, that govern that I think they could be successful faster 
in this sector than a lot of governments. Uh, I'm Erin at Interaction, handle all the WASH and global health work there. And um, uh, politics is definitely a key um, good question uh, in all of this. And um, I guess championing foreign assistance uh, is a difficult uh, thing to do, especially uh, when your constituents uh, aren't favorable to that. Um, the good news is that uh, water and sanitation uh, is a pretty bipartisan non-controversial for the most part issue um, so it's it's definitely um, easy to grasp uh, for most politicians and um, kind of easy to build consensus um, for some of the other issues so good morning thank you for talking um, my name is Kayla Navoa and I am currently with Commodics International um, I do think that politics do play an important role but it is very difficult to get a certain uh, congressmen's attentions because they're being pulled in every which way so it's just a matter of having to constantly bring their attention to this subject and I just think it's you know always having to push for that oh, okay. my name is Odile I work to the DRC embassy. Uh, my English is uh, <laughs> is very bad. Trust me, mine can be very much so too. <laughs> it depends on where I am. Yeah, I learn now <laughs> in English, but uh, I think for the about the politics, uh, we can sensibilize the government of uh, America mm -hmm. to help. Uh, the poor states to, for example, in Africa, uh, we've uh, had the, a lot of program to nutrition and had ma maternal health for women and children. <laughs> Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Ray, I'm a SAI student, and I'm currently working with USAID as a group. We work on a maternal child health project in Africa. And sadly, WASH haven't been one of the priority. Um, we are mainly engaged with the private sector and financial institutions to work out how to fund health equipment and commodities in Africa. And through your talk, I, I would say that um, there's definitely, definitely a need for a leadership commitment. And then on the other hand, um, I think a lot to involve the private sector into this conversation mm -hmm. needs a lot of cost effectiveness. So yes, we need a lot of money, but how effective? And because I think WASH is sort of like a public health kind of public good, it's very hard to calculate, and it's a long-term thing to see its result, so it's quite difficult. But we would love to mention this to our client. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so my name's Mike, and I'm here at CSIS as an intern. Um, and basically just to link, you know, frontline uh, healthcare workers back to politics and your question. I, you kind of touched on it at the beginning of your talk, I think, but I mean, now would seem like the time to advocate for that sort of thing, you know, with Congress people or 
you know, decision makers with, you know, what's going on with Ebola and, you know, the, the focus on, I mean, it's just, sometimes it takes a crisis like that to really get, you know, public attention and, um, you know, action from policymakers on a topic like this, but just a comment on that. Hi, uh, my name is Sam. Uh, I'm a SAI student and uh, research assistant here at CSIS as well. Um, so I have a bit of a cold, so I'm not going to talk too much. Um, but um, I think there is a lot of support for this kind of thing. It is a bipartisan uh, topic, I think, that could get a lot of support. Um, even with the, the kind of limited funding that the gov government is, uh, is ha has right now, um, I think PPPs are an excellent way to try to do it, but mm -hmm. um, you know, there's PPPs have been going on for a long time, and there's a lot of instances of it not really working out because it's not been done with uh, community uh, feedback uh, and a local presence by the organizations working there. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Um, my name's Charles Rice. I'm a research assistant here at CSIS. Um, I guess there's been a lot of really good stuff that's been said on this question so far. Um, I mean, I think one of the one of the big challenges that politics has facing development programming generally is that it tends to be sort of responsive, and something like this is fundamentally forward-looking. So we care a lot about health infrastructure once there's an Ebola outbreak in West Africa, but it's harder for us to think about sanitation in India, you know, years before there's an issue. Um, so, I mean, I think that's just sort of the, the nature of the business is that it's short term, um, and that's one of the challenges that you're dealing with sort of when you're interfacing with people like us. Hi, I'm Maggie Nelson. I'm also from CSIS. Um, and for me, when, when I think of politics, I also think of politics in the country where we're trying to in implement these policies. Mm -hmm. And I think something that often we miss or some organizations miss a lot of times is really taking into account local context. Um, global problems don't necessarily equate um, kind of universal solutions. You really have to think about, um, you know, country to country, how we implement these policies is going to be different. And um, there isn't going to be a global solution necessarily to, um, you know, wash. We have to really take into account the systems that are already existing in these countries or even regions within these countries. So that would be my two cents. Hi everyone, my name's Jane. I'm an intern here at CSIS. Um, I just have a short comment. I think that um, a lot of uh, discussion on development topics right now are centered on using the strength of civil society and like private uh, sectors, but also we need to recognize the role of government and like using the uh, center leadership from uh, government um, to provide this top-down kind of intervention and I also really um, agree with what Maggie said um, to implement WASH and um, other type of um, public health program in different, in different countries we definitely need to uh, recognize the government and local countries and need to use their um, policy leadership um, to get the program actually uh, implemented in local countries. So that's just my some comment, I guess. 
And Liz McGee, also at Commodics International, um, I as a big USAID contractor, we're seeing more and more that a lot of projects are incorporating democracy and governance into health, and I think that's exciting to see advocacy happening on the ground. Um, but what I think we're doing less of as a developing development community is bringing the results from our projects back up to the top. And so I think you know the successes that we are having in these integrated programs and also in, in bringing WASH initiatives on the ground, we're not really um, funneling that back up. So I think that's something we could do better um, all around. Thanks. I'm Susan Bell, also from Commodics International, and I work on implementing projects across Southern Africa, and WASH is a big component of a lot of what we're doing. And I've seen it on the ground that politics echoes in a lot of places as you're trying to implement these um, really substantial changes. Um, you need politics buy-in from the U.S. to even get it to be part of your project. You need um, politics to work in favor of WASH in the national local context, but also in the transboundary context. Um, a lot of what we're seeing with Ebola in West Africa is, um, in addition to a lack of national infrastructure, there's a lot of problems with transboundary uh, management and coordination. And we see that a lot with WASH in, um, in Southern Africa, that when everyone can get to the table and agree, it's great, but there's a lot of uh, back-end work that goes into getting that uh, provincial and national buy-in um, to integrate all of these things and really make a big cultural shift. But also politics in the non-official governmental sense that you need traditional leaders to be involved as well. You need community leadership to care about what you're doing um, and building relationships between all of those stakeholder groups in order to get the maximum impact for the work Hi, I'm Kristen. I'm from OICI, and I think politics plays a big role when you have um, competing priorities and interests in the host countries. And unfortunately, I think sometimes politics plays too large of a role because it often trumps need. Um, hi, I'm Mickey, also a little bit sick, um, <laughs> but I really appreciate the talk. I'm from the um, Pan American Development Foundation. Um, we um, just started um, about a year ago maternal health programs in Colombia and Mexico. Um, so, and also independently of that, I, I um, work as a doula, so it's a very close issue to my heart. Um, <clears throat> I really wanted to actor, uh, sorry, to echo the the private sector question. Um, what kind of alliance building there is there, and what kind of opportunities there are there? Because I agree with a lot of what's been said about um, this kind of um, forward-looking preventive care being so very important and yet falling to the bottom of our list of um, political priorities. So I'm interested to hear you talk about that, um, that opportunity. I'm Eliana. I'm from Johns Hopkins, from the Public Management Program. And I think that politics is the big topic in this issue. But when we need to, we need to talk about what is the most important thing for one um, government, Congress, if they don't, in my case, I'm from Mexico, if the Congress, if the government don't want to solve one problem, even if the U.S. government, the Congress, any organization can make something, many problems going to be solved. We need to know first which is the 
the big topic for the government before we step, we begin any program. That we knowing want. our audience, um, yeah, knowing who we're speaking to. Okay, that's it. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I'm here at CSIS, and I think at this point I'm echoing um, what so many people have added already. But from from a broad perspective, I think politics impacts development work because politics is inherently cyclical. You're dealing or you're operating on an election cycle or the length of an administration. So you're talking about four years or eight years or a three-year contract or a five-year contract, whereas development work, it, it's not cyclical. It's supposed to be long-term. You really want to think 10 mm -hmm. to 20 years. Um, and over 20 years, both here in the States and in um, countries where you're working, you're dealing with with constant change and the constant need to impress and to repackage and to, to win votes and to win approval. Um, so I think there's a lot of thought that needs to go into how um, development work that can't be nicely packaged in a five-year impact report um, can still sustain support. Hi, my name is Gerardo and I'm an intern here in CSIS. I'm from El Salvador, so I want to talk a little bit about my country's experience. In my country, <coughs> there is no political will to solve these problems mm -hmm. because people and politicians are not aware of the benefits of investing in water sanitation. So I think like the US government or organization like yours should promote like a campaign telling them some of this data of how of how beneficial it is for them to invest in water sanitation, how much money will they save, because sometimes it's lack of education what the biggest problem of the developing world, and that's my comment. Wow, this is impressive. Uh, hello, I'm Jason Lopez. I'm with Comonics, uh, doing water and sanitation. Uh, uh, when I think about politics, I, I really like um, House of Cards. It's a really good show. You know, I actually, well, I shouldn't probably say that uh, because this is being recorded. I'll say it anyway. I've never watched a show. <gasps> Ditto. I always say Ditto. that I, I don't like to watch show. shows that have something to do with what I do. So I try to stay away from all the legal shows, from all the politics, you know, so that just, just kind of leaves it to a couple shows. <laughs> I agree with most of what everybody said here. Uh, the only thing I could add is that politics comes from, you know, or come from elected officials, and uh, I guess the society as a whole, or you know, people in the United States need to become more aware of what is involved in sanitation. I think it's, uh, water and sanitation, especially in sanitation, there's a big stigma about talking about um, excreta and so on and so forth. It's a conversation we all need to start having, and you know, be just more open about it. This is a lot. Wow, I can't believe you did this to me. <laughs> I have 10 minutes. Goodness. I'll make it, I'll make it brief. Um, basically, I agree that WASH, uh, going back to your topic, thank you, by the way, Annie. I'm Kelly Buchanan-Gelb from International Medical Corps. Um, and I think that WASH is very important, especially in the Ebola crisis. I was just over in Liberia, and we, we set up and in running an Ebola treatment unit. It's one of the vital things you need. You need water. You need chlorinated water, and you need um, that to, to contain the Ebola outbreak as well. But in terms of politics, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm from the Midwest, and 
You know, I feel like DC's in its own bubble, and these big decisions are made from, my impression is, a few people. And mm -hmm. if you really want to get the people to rally, there are these legislations I've never heard of, and I think that's something, you know, communicating to the public and getting them to rally behind it would be uh, important. Excellent. Yes, my name is Lauren Hershey. I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself before. Uh, I'm closer to 70 than 65. Uh, you are not as young as you feel. You're as young as you work out and eat smart. So true. Uh, there, there are two things I want to comment on uh, the pickup themes here. Um, there's a deep irony here because the U.S. has a bunch of health crises going on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to solve that one. That's sort of point number one. Uh, point number two, politics really does start at the bottom with local elected officials. Um, the vice president was on city council in some little town in Delaware, I forget which one. Mm -hmm. He got elected to the U.S. Senate at 29. Mm -hmm. So what have I been doing, right? <laughs> what have you been doing? What do you plan to do? Um, Hillary, well, she married a politician, but she's a, excuse me, a darn good lawyer. You said it's being recorded. A damn good lawyer. That was a very good Secretary of State. I don't know if she'll be the next President of the United States. I don't conjecture one way or the other. Uh, but politics starts with uh, what is happening at the local level. I happen to live in Fairfax County, Virginia. I'm also from the Midwest. And they adopted about a year ago something called Live Healthy Fairfax. It's already one of the healthiest uh, counties in the country, in the world. That's wow. uh, not good enough. And so I see people all over the neighborhoods talking smarter pra best practices, et cetera. So you all have uh, instilled me with renewed idealism. I want to thank you, every single one of you. Uh, the future does belong to you, so that's my political statement. <laughs> or statement about politics. This is amazing. Wow. So that means I only have like seven minutes left. This is a challenge. All right, let's see. All right, I'm going to give it my best shot. So I'm a big fan of Ellen DeGeneres. I just had to put her there. She just makes me smile and want to dance. Yeah, so, but let's, let's just keep that for later. Um, so when you think about advocacy, you know, and, and, and this word, it means so many things to many people, but I'm going to have to go through these slides very quickly. So unfortunately, I'm not going to have a chance to have a lot of discussion before we open it up for more Q&A. Um, but here are some of the things that I hear the most when I ask people what advocacy means for them. Persuading, securing funding, influencing, educating, improving, changing policies, championing, sharing, encouraging, fixing, supporting, mobilizing, partnering, defending, promoting, representing, protecting, getting what we want, lobbying. Anything else I may have left out? That means I did a good job. I capture what I've been hearing over many years. Um, for, for us, advocacy means persuading decision makers to take specific actions or adopt particular policies for a social benefit, in, in this case, a, a public health benefit. Um, so what gives the right to advocate? And I'll go through this very quickly, but I, I thought that this was important because this is not the kind of thing that I grew up in, uh, you know, hearing from, from people. And I guess as a lawyer, it's just, uh, you just can't blame, blame me for having to bring this up. Um, but a lot of people think about, wow, why am I engaged in this? You know, you actually have a right by the First Amendment of the Constitution that gives us straight and, uh, you know, the, the, the ability and the obligation 
um, to be involved in advocacy and, and just looking at the end um, and to petition government for redress of grievances. So you actually, the Constitution allows you but also obligates you to be involved and, and have a voice in, 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 in joining this advocacy um, world and, um, and engaging in these efforts. Um, and you have to know that you can make a difference. And I know that's hard to... Uh, be able to convey, especially for uh, many of us that are involved in advocacy, as I mentioned before, sort of um, um, comparing it to development. It takes a long time to get things done. And, you know, I have to say from a personal standpoint, um, you know, being involved in these issues for so many years of my life, um, you know, coming home sometimes and being excited about seeing a legislation, um, being um, seeing a change between an, uh, an and for an or or something like that in all and that made my day. My husband would look at me going, really? Um, so, but, but that's exciting. I mean, that's super exciting. And maybe that's just my glass half full personality, but I have to get excited about those small changes because they really do lead to um, amazing outcomes long term. And that's the way that we have to look at development. And, 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 and I'm not trying to say this just to make you optimistic about the, the way that things are, just looking at the, the previous statistics and things like that. But it's a way for you to know that everything that you're doing on a daily basis, even if it's small, even if you cannot see the outcomes of it um, one day or, or 10 years down the road, um, you are making a difference in, in what you're doing um, on a daily basis. Um, and, and you may not even be able to see it um, in this lifetime or may not see it or hear it from, from, from talking to others. But, but just uh, feel that you're part of this obligation, that you have a call to action, that you have an obligation um, to provide your gift um, and, and knowing what your gift is. Um, to the world, not only your 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 skill set, um, but knowing what your your gift is to the world, um, and 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 bring that into not only your job but what you do and how you relate to people on a daily basis. Um, so, in terms of communicating, there's a lot of ways to communication um, that's important. You can do it for educational purposes, which was brought up a lot during our discussion based on the question that was raised. Um, you can use it to gain support, to eliminate opposition. Um, here's some questions to consider um, before you're, you're thinking about what is going to be your strategy. What is the issue that I'm trying to address? What is my goal and, and why is that my goal? Um, and, and where is it coming from? I mean, sometimes I feel that, uh, that, that we're engaged in work and we're very robotic about it. So I like to take a step back um, uh, as, as often as I possibly can in, in, in thinking about how do I really feel about this issue? Why is this important to me? Um, why should I be engaged in wanting to do this? Um, and being open to what that could possibly mean and not just be stuck in the, in, in the mindset of, um, well, these are my goals for the next five years or these are my goals for the next 10 years. Well, you know, we learn so many things along the way every day that can just one conversation in an airplane, 
you know, can change your whole life perspective or, or the way that your career um, evolves. So just having that flexibility to be able to be open to what life has to offer and what opportunities are out there um, is something that I, I hope that you can take away from this presentation is that kind of uh, open-mindedness for, for, for being surprised, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, who has the authority to make it happen? When is the appropriate time to act and what's the appropriate approach? And what are the constituents' needs and priorities? Some of the things that were actually brought up um, earlier during our discussion. So this is, I mean, I like to bring this up because it's kind of funny in a way. Well, at least for me. Uh, you know, so just don't feel obligated to laugh. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but in in thinking about this, I mean, it, this this came up in our in in our discussion because we have to look at local context, right? And we have to look at what makes people be motivated for things. So when you're looking at the mind of a of a legislator, you you know their personal staff, you know their GAO reports and congressional budget office reports and. Government Accountability Office, sorry for my acronyms if, if you know, obviously feel free to ask me at any point. Um, Re-election campaigns, political parties, news media opportunities, contributions, life experiences, which are in many ways the reason why people go into public service to begin with. The scholars or researchers, other lawmakers, um, constituents, obviously, I think I mentioned that already. Um, and just keeping those in mind, and there are many ways to uh, communicate uh, indirect, direct, um, or indirect communications, one-way communications in two ways. Indirect, here are a couple things you can do, and which I'm sure you're currently doing. Um, and, and letters to the editor, just the, the formatting of this, and, and since the presentation is going to be available, then you can look at these um, slides in more detail. Um, uh, uh, one-way communication in terms of phone calls, letters, emails, um, two-way communication, congressional visits, site visits um, uh, to people's uh, congressional um, districts, but also on the ground and, and, and looking at programs and how they've been implemented by funding from uh, different resources, not only the U.S. government, but other donors or the private sector, uh, which was um, mentioned several times receptions and and the importance of working with coalitions and building partnerships which is some which is something that sometimes is not brought up um, but it's uh, it's definitely part of my daily living and one of the uh, uh, many joys about my job job is to be able to relate to many people um, from different organizations that are all um, looking to making a difference. Um, and here are some of the advantages which you'll see in the presentation when you're looking at it, from visibility to strengthening numbers, mutual support, contacts, and expertise, um, that we all have something to contribute. And, 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 and by bringing together and looking at what brings us together rather than the issues that separate us, it's a better way to um, form an advocacy strategy and, and just a, a better way to look at um, uh, trying to make a difference in the world. Um, I find this interesting um, just to, I have two slides uh, to end. Um, I've always found this one to be interesting because um, although I, I, I talk about it more in the domestic side of, of 
of advocacy work is that we're, we have all these expectations about, you know, we want kids to succeed in school and we're, and we're doing uh, everything we can to, to address one issue or the other, but we're forgetting that if we really want to make a difference in the life of ev everybody, and, and the example here is a child, but this really translates to everybody, um, is uh, it says there, uh, um, could someone help me with these? I'm late for math class, and you can see the, the burden of uh, hunger, sickness, homelessness, and many other things that um, uh, many people who we represent and we care for um, are, are dealing and having to face on a daily basis. And on top of that, um, they're trying to make a living for their, for their um, communities and for their families. And, um, and I always like to end with my ultimate favorite um, um, uh, senator and member, um, elected official of all time. And, and I have to say, um, I, uh, uh, we work in a very bipartisan way. And uh, not only speaking for International Medical Corps, uh, which is exactly on point, but also in my uh, trajectory as an advocate and, and, and person involved in this um, equally with both Democrats and Republicans. Um, but um, I had the pleasure of, of being able to work in a lot of different um, initiatives with uh, the late Senator uh, uh, Paul Wellston. And, and I've, I've always uh, motivated to um, think about uh, some of the quotes that he left behind. And, and I always uh, uh, like to live my life thinking ab about the last one, never separate the life you live from the words you speak. So with that, that's the end of my presentation. And, and I think I probably have less than, um, than a uh, 30 second uh, to answer any questions. Yeah, we're a little over time. So we'll take one or two questions, and then uh, we'll end this. And if you have any other comments or thoughts, you can and talk to Annie a little bit afterwards. So uh, I will skip my questions and go to you folks if you have one or two questions. All right. Yes, go ahead. Um, if I can uh, do the gentle reminder to get you to talk more about the private sector, and I, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit more on not the CSR aspect, but kind of as spurring their involvement as part of their core business. I appreciate the question very much. Um, um, I will speak um, on behalf of International Medical Corps, but also in, 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 my, in my capacity in, as an advocate and, and working on all these issues for so many years. Um, uh, I, I was so delighted to hear about um, the importance of public-private partnerships and, um, and thinking about the private sector as a, as a key player. Um, as it turns out, you know, over the years, the private sector was also, uh, it's always seen as that, uh, you know, why are they here? You know, what is their take on this? Why are they interested in these issues? Is it just to look good? Um, and, um, and I have to say, um, it's, it's, it's completely the opposite. And, uh, and my experience working with the private sector has been absolutely wonderful. Um, from thinking about, I mean, and I can just mention so many different companies um, from uh, Merck, uh, to Unilever and their engagement in, um, in making a difference on WASH, to Johnson & Johnson, um, to thinking about the Medtronic Foundation, um, Merck, as I mentioned before, JSK. I mean, I can go on and on about many of them. And that um, Medtronic, uh, as I mentioned, uh, they have a very specific um, um, uh, 
interest in, in non-communicable diseases, um, work for mothers, as you know, it's very engaged in maternal health um, as well. And I'm just leaving many out, uh, not purposely, but just in the interest of time, just to say that um, these are people who are really committed in, in making a difference and, 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 and looking at their social and corporate responsibility um, and using uh, the, the opportunity that they have to have that platform in the private sector to engage and partner with NGOs um, on the ground and with many others who are trying to do this work um, and who have um, been doing this work in the case of uh, International Medical Corps for, for so many years in so many uh, places. Um, that um, we need to scale up those efforts and we need to appreciate the, uh, the, 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 not only the interest, but the, the difference that it can make um, for us to be engaged and, and seeing ourselves as not only working among ourselves with the NGO community, but with uh, the private sector and also the, the ones that we never think about. Um, I'm, I'm always someone who, who likes to think outside the box and in terms of building partnerships and, um, and creating more opportunities to further advance the, the work that we do on a regular basis. And, and, and for that is thinking about who should be here um, or who wouldn't we ever think about um, would be a person to be here and, and those are the ones that I like to reach out to and building those <coughs> unlike alliances. Does that help uh, respond? Okay. Final question, go ahead. So I, I really appreciated your presentation. Thank you so much for seeing <coughs> us to, today. Um, my question, relates to integration of a lot of these things. And I definitely see the value so many of these things and all of the issues that people work on in silos um, are so interrelated at their root and the impact of all the work is interrelated as well. But I wanted to get your thoughts on um, both at the policy level and the implementation level, how much integration is too much integration? Do we pile too many things and try to do too many things at once? Um, it depends. I mean, it really does depend. I think you have to, when you're formulating an advocacy strategy, you have to think about um, your audience. As I mentioned, I mean, I, I went through those slides pretty quickly, um, and I, obviously I left many out. Um, but, you know, who, who are you speaking to? And, and, and what are those issues that, uh, that move them? Um, and, uh, and sometimes you can bring in research. I believe in the power of research incredibly. But sometimes it's either going into an office and saying, you know, it's almost like the saying, don't confuse me with the facts, I already made up my mind, kind of thing. Um, <coughs> so you have to know your audience really well um, and, and, and talk to the issues that um, uh, got them elected to begin with. And, and, and what are the ways also um, that you can get through, could be through partnerships. I mean, sometimes it's uh, that we may not have um, an open door with a, a specific stakeholder, but we do have a partner who does. And that's the way to entry into that dialogue. And, and, and that happens very often at the local level as we're trying to implement programs and work with ministers of health and, and other professionals at the local level um, around the world that um, you know, it's, it's about getting reelected, it's about um, having firm loss on the ground. 
and uh, what are we doing uh, to mobilize people internally and, and, and creating partnerships with the right people that will get the ear of those who we need to um, take action and who can actually make a difference. Um, and, um, and I think that for that, you really have to kind of, again, take a step back and do an analysis of, um, of what's smart here. What are the issues that move this particular person and, um, and, 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 and formulating a strategy based on that so that you're not overwhelming uh, the person and also you're being um, very strategic in your approach and, um, and very forward looking. Please join me in thanking Annie Tor for being here today. I have to say I had 20 issues to talk about that I didn't even cover. Um, so I just had to say that um, to make myself feel better. Uh, <laughs> thank you, and sorry again that I talked so much. <laughs>